Hello, everyone. We are finally back. The day has finally arrived where we have returned from the rocks. Even though we are not heroes, we are just podcasters. This is Tom, and hello, Svein. Hey, Tom. This is episode 77 of the Great Divide podcast, an episode that maybe some wondered if it would ever come, but it has. <laughs> we are finally back after an incredibly long break. We've had people wondering about our health. We've had people emailing us, asking us if we're still alive, um, and we are. And I'm assuming you are as well, fine. Yeah, and the funny thing is you're not even kidding. That's right. That's true. <laughs> no, we, we actually did get people asking us, are we healthy? Are we still here? Is the podcast still going to continue? <laughs> uh, we, we did say we would have a long break, and I guess we had a, a good time in the market space in Damascus because it's been quite a break. But uh, things have happened. It might not be necessarily new podcast episodes, but we have been up to things in the background. Yeah, no doubt. And now it's time to be in the foreground again. Exactly. And yeah, and, and this is our first episode of 2018, right? It is. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's mid-August as we speak. Well, thanks to everyone for, uh, for bearing with us. And I guess that driving to Damascus deep dive opus took more out of us than even we thought it might. <laughs> yeah, I was I was tired. I was uh, I remember running on fumes before we were done with the album, and then we did the whole postscript. But you know, when we were done, I wasn't saying, "Oh, thank God." I was mostly really proud of those. I think oh, yeah. uh, I enjoyed those more than a lot of the other stuff we have done. I really think it's really our magnum opus is that deep dive. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I, I I was I was very pleased with how that came out too, and it was it, it led through so many different emotions throughout the discussion of that album, as you would expect. Mm. But uh, it it was it was about as thorough as you could get, <laughs> I think. So, <laughs> yeah. And what, what's crazy is that we were actually thinking of doing another episode before the Utide episode, and uh, to try to get something else in under the under the radar almost before we went to the Utide, but. Uh, Obviously, that didn't happen, so that'll have to happen down the road. But um, anyway, we're, we're back, and as Fine alluded to, we, we've we've been up to all kinds of things, and of course, more importantly, the band has been up to all kinds of things, and people associated with the band have been up to many things, and we're going to touch on a little bit of all of these things, at least um, you know all the main things that have happened, and this is going to be sort of us getting our feet back in the water kind of episode, so don't expect any sort of long, rambling, deep dive on this. We're just trying to get our podcasting feed again, but Svein has been uh, incredibly busy, and he put together something that is huge for the show, even though it's not new episodes, but uh, a, a great resource. So Svein, you want to talk about that? I guess we should. Um, the show notes. The Great Divide has show notes now. So if you go to JFNG's site, now every episode has its own page. You can click on an episode and you come in. There's the usual widget, there's a download link, and there's a whole set of notes for what we go into in that episode. And it's not a recap, and it's certainly not a transcript. It's uh, it's an overview. And the idea is that this makes it easier to find where we talked about something, if not necessarily what we talked about. That would be too much. I would still be doing them. It was <laughs> big enough scope to just do the show notes and listen to episodes again. So, yeah, I didn't quite have the break from the podcast, but it was a different type of working with the podcast. So I got to revisit quite a bit and listen to things that I barely did since we edited them. And 
check them and, and put them out. So it was cool. I think it's a decent podcast, this. So <laughs> if it was shite, I wouldn't have finished. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. And just to be clear, Swine went back and listened to every single episode, you know, not just not just casually listening, but he painstakingly listened to every single episode so that he could mark all the main points of each one. So, I, And I wanted to ask you that. So because I haven't done that, you know, I've li- I've li- I hardly ever li- go back and listen to old podcasts. I very rarely. So, as someone who actually went through the entire catalog of shows, and you just sort of said a little bit about how you feel, but how do you feel about the whole thing and how it's progressed over the years? It's definitely progressed. You know, thankfully, I should say. Um, I think. Um, I feel really good about the latter half of our production. The first half. Obviously, I needed to get used to doing this. When I started doing this, I had like zero experience. And that shows. The first year, I don't know what I was doing. So so thanks to everybody who, who stuck with me. Uh, it helped to work with someone who is used to putting together documentaries. You kind of have the voice for this already. You, you hit the ground running, and I, I did not. So first year, I was the carcass you dragged behind. But I think hopefully <laughs> it got better. Uh, so... That that kind of felt nice. I, I could, you know, grow with my older self and see me uh, finding my feet and us finding our feet together. Yeah. So 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 that is that aspect of it. I never got really to see it in those terms. And then uh, also how much more detailed we would get, uh, like the early deep dives or now the early uh, skinny dipping, or <laughs> something right. like that. It's um, it's changed a bit in that terms too. So, so when I started getting into the later deep dives, especially which lasted a while, I, I figured out I gotta, you know, go within each deep dive, within each song, and sort of map out what we discussed. Because in the early notes, I would say, now we're deep diving on this song, and that was all I wrote in those notes. So I needed to do the set of notes first, and then get them up to the same standard. So some of them I had to listen to more than once, but. Um, yeah, it's taken a while. I didn't do everything of this since Christmas. I started a couple of years ago at the earliest, but um, getting everything to the same level is uh, was important. And um, so obviously anything um, you find in these notes, you know, if you like it, the credit's on me. If you don't like it, the blame is on me. And it was very important to keep the neutral. The, the notes are neutral. They're kind of just reporting what happened in the episode. So no, no secret digs at Tom or anything like that in, in those. I think we can manage to keep those within the actual episodes. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're way too hard on yourself. Yeah, you, I, you were, I thought you were strong from the beginning. But yeah, we both improved. I mean, you know, I, I'm used to putting things together behind the scenes, but not actually being uh, a part of a show. So yeah, I, I was learning as I've gone too. So Hopefully the show is, has improved. But, yeah, it's an incredible resource, and uh, it's very helpful. So I just have one question to ask about this, the show notes, and that is this. Are you happy now, Maz? Are you happy, Maz? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of funny that you requested those uh, when we were nearly done with them, so that was nice. No, I'm just kidding, Maz. You know that. Yeah, we, and we, we got requests for them, but, you know, they were worth, it's worth the wait because they're they're very detailed and – and uh, they're there now, so that's good. And John even made them searchable, so you can put in a term, and uh, you can get uh, search results just from the Great Divide show notes. Now, if I had known this when I wrote them, perhaps I would have made, you know, taken greater care to include certain words and make triggers. But you know, 
it's good enough. And I kind of feel about those notes the same way I feel about Damascus. It's really a big baby to deliver, and I'm glad it's done. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you for doing it. It's a, it was a great job. It's great to have that there. You know, I, all, I, I always wanted to have them. Oh, yeah, I know. I know yeah. you would. That's, that goes with your personality perfectly. Yes, just like I have a file on you. I need to have a file on every episode. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'd love to see that one day. <laughs> or would I? But yeah, but thanks <laughs> but thanks to JFNG too to, for putting that together on the website and it's such a great um yes. great setup that he's put there with so searchable and easy to go through. So, thank you. So, with that good news, um I guess maybe now is a good time to deliver a little bit of bad news. And that is about the seer petition, the seer petition, the seer position and petition. Um, as as many of you know, we we started this petition to get the Robin Miller mix of the seer finally released because we had heard a couple of years ago that that the mix was still in existence. His original mix um, was still there, and I'm not going to go back and explain everything again. If you, if you are new to this, and just go search for uh, the seer petition on Google and you'll, you'll see the petition. It still exists and you can read all about it, but most of you know exactly what I'm talking about, but we haven't gotten a lot of, uh, feedback. And I think what, what the biggest problem with the, with this initiative was, was just finding the right people to get it to. I mean, we knew that we wanted to get it in front of universal, but we didn't really know anyone who worked there or have any really good, uh, contacts. A, A couple that we did have, never followed up uh, on initial questions and and never really got back to us. Well, I got to give a huge shout out to a listener named Paul Huggard. And I hope I'm saying that last name right. Uh, Paul Huggard, he took it upon himself to, after we put the petition up and sort of just let it sit there, um, he went out and really searched for someone at Universal and a contact info uh email at Universal that he could get this information to and let them know about this petition. And he succeeded. He found something called uh, the Universal Scoping Team in the UK. And apparently that's a team of people who sort of go through these old releases and try to figure out if any are worthy of being re-released or repackaged. And you can actually actually make requests to them uh, as to what you want released. So he found this information. He even found um, a person who worked within that department, and he he got a little bit of a personal relationship going with them through email, and he pestered them a lot. (laughs) We really appreciated it. And then he let me know about it, and I put that information out to our Facebook page, and, and that was shared through other big country Facebook pages. And thank you to everyone who bombarded that email address with requests to release the Miller Mix of the Seer. And I really think that helped because... We finally got some word about that from people at Universal. Unfortunately, it's not what we were hoping to hear. And um, let me just read to you the the email that Paul received. He um, was asking, you know, what's been going on with the SEER uh, petition? I know you've received all these requests. Is there any any update on that? So someone from that scoping team, someone named Rosie, I uh, don't know her last name. She responded to Paul, and she said, Hi, Paul. Hope you're well. Thank you for your submission into UMC regarding the big country Robin Miller mix of the seer and your patience whilst we have deliberated over it here. 
After much consideration and research, I'm afraid the mix in question doesn't exist in our archive anymore. Our team have also been in touch with Robin Miller, who also no longer has any record of the original mix. As a result of this, we will not be able to progress with this release any further. I am very sorry this will not be the news you hoped for. So, there you go. Unfortunately, uh, it looks like, despite what we thought when we started this petition, it looks like the Miller mix does not exist in their archive. And uh, everyone associated with it at its inception doesn't seem to have it anymore, including Robin Miller himself. So, um, you know, I don't know what else we can do at this point, except maybe hope that somehow someone saved a copy of this and it pops up one day because something has to exist. Uh, it's just a matter of where it is and who has it. And um, anyway, it, it was a it was a long effort, and uh, I'm proud of the effort. I'm proud of what we tried to do. And uh, even Robin Miller was talking about it in a recent documentary on his, on his life, which I thought was really really interesting. He mentioned this petition to get the the seer as he mixed it released. <laughs> I thought, well, that's great. So it's. It got heard. I mean, it got heard, and Kenny Henderson said, "I think what I what I think was good." He said, "This is the second best possible outcome. Obviously, the first best would have been to hear that they have it and they're going to release it, but it would have really been bad if they never said anything and we just never heard word, and the, or they just, just or they said that they did have it but decided it wasn't worthy of being released." Um, so I think maybe he's right about that. It's like we we know at least now that they don't have it. And it seemed to me from these emails that they probably would have released it if they did have it. Yeah, that's the positive message that uh, when they bother to even check with with Robin, which we could have told them perhaps that he didn't have them because that's <laughs> he wrote that to us many years ago. Right. But uh, but yeah, th- th- there was definitely interest, and they they investigated. So I think they would have put them out. They would have considered it, and they would have seen what they could have done with it. So um, that gives us hope. Um, what I uh, like I mentioned before we started recording, the the deluxe edition from a couple of years ago is sold out, so you can't buy it anymore new. You need to buy it uh, eBay or from someone. So it should be in print. And the hook to um, to put that re-release on would obviously have been more Miller mixes. So whether it's one or or two or or all of them or however, you know, if if anything could be dug up, that would be a, a selling point in addition to just keeping the product in the stores, which they should for that one. Yeah, definitely. And, and and as we've mentioned on previous shows, I know that there are uh, some some instances of some reels out there that might have a couple of those songs on it. We'll see what happens with those down the road. But hopefully the entire thing will once one day be found. I, let this be a lesson to the young bands out there. If you get in a situation where you record an album and you're given a cassette of the mix of that album... And then later, your record company says, no, we're going to remix it and do something different with it. Keep that cassette. Do not throw it away. Keep it. <laughs> do not toss it out. It might be worth something someday. I think the problem is someone is keeping it and not telling. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I hope they uh, change that at some point. But, you know, so well, it, it's not like living with the, the mix of the Seer as we have it now is, is anything bad. I love that album. It's It's one of my, you know favorites obviously it's in that holy trinity for me but uh yeah certainly would have loved to have heard the more organic sounding miller mix and uh i would just have to be happy with look away and uh i guess that one great thing mix and i think uh there was even some talk recently about belief in the small man being 
mixed by Miller. So I think that might be another one. You mean Song of the South? Yeah, sorry. Song of the South, exactly. I always get those two confused for some reason. <laughs> we should deep dive into that someday. Yeah, someday. someday. No more deep dives right now. No, I think not. No, so it's a good uh, outcome given that it doesn't exist. We're sort of back one step to finding out where it is, which is where we were some years ago. We needed to find out where it is, but at least the interest is there. And I think the intention to release it would be there if it's found. So yeah, that we, we got to take what we can from this. Definitely, definitely. And it still it makes me feel good to go to that petition page. And every time I've checked it, which has been, you know, maybe only like every five or six months, I'll decide to go look at it. There's always new comments on there. Uh, there, are, there are new comments from people all the time about please release this. So people yes. still care, and it's it's imp- it must be fairly impressive to a record company to to see that. I would assume. So um, yeah, that that at least gives us hope that if something is found. You know, there should at least be an audience for it. All right. So um, what other stuff have we been up to since uh, since Christmas? I mean, you have been working on a couple new songs. Uh, you sent me a couple things. Yeah. And I know you don't want to talk about them, but they sound good. And we'll talk about them in a future episode when things are ready. You're kind of you're one for the big reveals so we'll save it for, <laughs> we'll save it for a big reveal but there there is new Kerchival music on the way that i think we should mention that yes there there is and uh yeah which is interesting for a guy who said i want a break now <laughs> well i did take a break but, yeah, it, it, but it was a short break yeah <laughs> but yeah you're right sometimes things happen and you just got to jump into into it you know yeah Definitely. But but there's one piece of music we have to talk about, and that um, nobody could have seen where that would end. And I'm talking about uh, the music you made, which is based on the storm. You posted <laughs> a piano music of the storm, just a quiet, nice piano music based on the verse melody, really. Yeah. So so tell us about that and go into that. that that's an awesome story. Oh wow! Yeah, that was that was that's a cool story, without a doubt. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I just I posted that video of me playing the storm on piano, and it just one day it came to me that this is such a beautiful melody, and it might translate well to to a really haunting piano piece. And I, I'm not much of a piano player at all. I used to, I took lessons as a kid, and then I just stopped. But I I was able to fiddle around and and figure something out. And after a, a long time practicing it i felt confident enough to record it and um people seemed to really like it I, I when i posted it they they enjoyed it and they thought that it was kind of a different angle to the song that maybe they hadn't thought of before and it, it really did have that haunting feel to it
and Bruce uh, posted on the thread too that he really loved it. So that made me feel great, obviously. And um, I, I can't remember exactly what it was that triggered that, but I, I just remember thinking that this could be a really cool intro thing for big country. I mean, obviously you would need more than just the the piano playing. It'll have to build into something bigger than that. But I thought it was it just had such a haunting feel to it that it could be a great piece of intro music for the band's show. And I'm I'm really big on intro music for shows and I I I've always loved the stuff that Big Country has done what they've come out on stage with even recently, you know, with the Flower of Scotland that they recorded on the Journey tour with those big guitars. I thought that sounded incredible. They they've done a lot of things and I've always loved what bands choose to come out on stage with. And even you too. And this kind of takes me back a little bit to you too. Back in the uh, in the 80s, they would come on stage to, I think it was called Harry's Game, this really haunting yeah. song. And it was it was slow. And you wouldn't really think, well, that w- really wouldn't work for a band coming on stage. But it, it somehow really did. So I, I thought about doing that with The Storm. And I asked Bruce if he thought, you know, if he wouldn't mind me taking a crack at it. And he's like, yeah, go ahead. So I tried to make something that was more orchestral that sort of built on the piano thing that I did and then turn it into a big uh, cinematic orchestral thing. And I kind of called it in my head, I called it Storm of Thrones because it reminded me of of a Game (laughs) of Thrones kind of theme. So the idea was it was kind of like the melody line of the storm. It would start with the piano and then it would build into an orchestra and then it would come to this big crescendo. And right at that crescendo, the band would launch into the – um, so it wouldn't have the Ebo intro that it normally does. It would just start out. And that would be the intro to the, to the show. And, um, yeah, to make a long story slightly shorter, it, it, uh, the, the band liked it. Bruce liked it. They decided to try it. They wanted to replace the pianos, though, because what I originally did with the piano was um, I wasn't able to record my real piano so because of, because of logistics with how my studio was set up. So I did it on a, a sort of computerized keyboard and they thought the, the keys on that sounded a little bit too digitized, which I, I think they were right about that. So Bruce said, well, why don't we get, we're going to Australia. Maybe we can get uh, Colin Berwick to record keyboards for it. So I was like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, Colin Berwick recording keyboards for it. That would be great. So he, Colin and I sort of hooked up and we, worked over email and um he took what i had done and he did it he did the piano parts over with his own keyboards now he's a real piano player he's a real keyboardist i mean he's phenomenal and and he added some of his own little flourishes to it that really improved on it and then um we kept uh we kept the orchestral stuff that i had done and then bruce wanted to add some ebos to it at the end so he did that and uh it turned into this that sounds awesome (laughs) (laughs) it's fantastic yes it's the best thing ever
So, and very, uh, you know, this, this might seem like a big stretch, but I actually put in like rain and storm sounds in the song too, as you could hear, because you're known for that, you know? Yeah. No one would have expected that from the song called (laughs) the storm, but yeah. So the, the funny thing is, is that they did use it. Um, they use it in Australia and I kept trying to like, I wanted so bad to get footage of this because obviously a fan like myself and having contributed to the intro music that the band comes on stage with is pretty, pretty big deal for me. (laughs) So I really wanted to see it and like, did it, did it work? Like I envisioned it would work. Cause I, in my mind, I thought this would work really great. And, um, I heard that they had done it and nobody took any video of it. You know, like everybody takes video of everything nowadays, every song, you know, look away. Hey, let me get video of that. <laughs> but yeah, by all means. Yeah. But the new intro, nobody, nobody filmed it. But the funny thing was, is that I read a review for the show and the guy wrote in there how, you know, the, the, the show began with the strains of rain and storm, you know, perfect for a big country. And I was thinking, oh, this is great. I want to see this so bad. So finally they did it again. And this time uh, Gordon, Gordon Smith, who works with the band, he was kind enough to to video it for me and, and get it to me. And I finally saw it and I was really, really pleased with how it came out. Now the band, I think they also use it for an acoustic show um, that they did. And Bruce has since told me that the band didn't really feel like opening with the storm really quite worked. It's and I and I get that. It's like they tried it. You know, they they wanted to see what it was like. Everybody was into seeing what it what it was like, but just something about opening with the storm to them didn't quite work for the electric shows. But they thought they would that it would work that it worked well for the acoustic shows. So he he said, you know, if we do more acoustic shows with this, we may use it again. So to wrap this up. It made it through like uh, it, it was the intro for maybe like three shows. <laughs> <laughs> it lasted as long as the Steel Town tour. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but you know what? That was that was good enough for me. Yeah, no, that was good. You know th- what you said there was my initial concern: is the storm a good song to start with? Yeah, I remember that. I, I wasn't sure as, as much as I love the storm. It's. Um, you know, I've I've had other bands uh, or seen other bands try with slow songs that are among the more popular ones, and sometimes it works, other times it doesn't. But uh, the uh, the intro music really sets it up in a in a fantastic way. So if they consider it for acoustic shows, then uh, then I'm glad to uh, to see it live on. Well, you know, I have to share one final funny story about this. I, I was talking with Andy um, Andy Inkster shortly before those Australian shows, and I let him know that. You know, please be on the lookout if they play this because um, I would love. To, I hadn't gotten video of it yet, and I was just like, I, "If you could videotape this for me, I'd really appreciate it." And um, he, he was saying, <laughs> "I felt so bad because he was saying like, oh, 'Oh, I've waited so many years to to hear them play this that Ebo intro for the storm,' and he was really excited to hear the Ebo intro if they played the storm." And I I said, <laughs> "Well, Andy, um, you know, this kind of takes the place of the Ebo intro." The the Ebo is not going to be part of the storm if they play it because this is this is it this is it instead. <laughs> he, he he wanted so badly and he was looking so forward to hearing the Ebo live because he had never seen them play the Ebo live even when they played um, more recently in Australia. Apparently they didn't use the Ebo, so he really wanted to see that. And now I had taken that from him. Even if they did play <laughs> that thing, I had I had robbed him of that precious memory. But they didn't even play the intro during that show, so I guess. Uh, 
it worked out. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no, Andy. Uh, I'm with Andy on that one. The Ebo really makes uh, the song, but you know, I would be willing to sacrifice it to to hear that opening once. <laughs> once I'd get give it. No, but that that's cool, and it was really funny to see you desperately trying to get a video clip of it because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I I was interested too, but obviously you had a much deeper vested interest in seeing it than anyone. So that yeah. was, uh, I kind of started feeling for you at a point that it, really is nobody filming this, but uh, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, me too. Me too. I I, I was pleased to see how it came out, <laughs> even if it was short lived. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, it's still there. You never know. Just like the Miller mixes, you never know when they will pop up again. That's right. That's right. Yeah. See what I did there? Except we already talked about the Miller mixes. <laughs> Shit! I can move on to something I have done. I mean, I haven't made any music, but I've written about music. So, um, yeah, I'll say. <laughs> quite a bit. First of all, go check out my Facebook page, Rocking in the Norselands. I mentioned it in the Yuletide. I have to say, big country fans haven't been streaming to it like uh, AHA fans. You're in deep competition with the AHA fans, guys. They have been incredibly supportive. But uh, that's actually a funny story. I had a story about an AHA song that went viral. It was shared uh, nearly 300 times. It clicked over uh, over 100,000 times. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, it li- liked 100,000 times, I should say. Not necessarily on that page, but on all the, you know, sum up all the the shares and that's because the aha page shared it the actual wow. official aha page and and that is huge that has a lot of followers they are they are sadly bigger than our beloved big country on facebook <laughs> they're huge so uh, they shared it and that's when it just happened and i went viral and overnight i got a hundred new likes on that page and said what's happening <laughs> and it's all the half fans. So suddenly my, my audience is, is is deeply steered towards towards that group of people. So I don't know how they like me posting about Dio and Clash and, and other stuff, but maybe I can <laughs> pull them over. But um yeah, I've and I've been posting a little bit big country stuff too, of course, and as 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 I always would. And we'll get into some of those. But one thing I wrote that didn't end up on Rocking in the Northlands was uh for big country. Uh, and that was the liner notes to the Wide Long Phase 4 CD deluxe box set. Yeah. Which came out of the blue. And, uh, well, it came from John. <laughs> but it still came out of the blue. <laughs> Everybody will remember he wrote some notes for the uh, Kansas box set. Two pages with some background on where the shows came from and why things were selected, so and so. And uh, he was working on a similar write-up for Wide Long Phase. And he said, do you have any bullet points? Because I got nothing. I said, sure, I can give you some bullet points. <laughs> I got a lo- enough bullet points to last you quite a while. So, And after a while, he came back and said, well, actually, why don't you just write it? Because I, I, got, I still got nothing. <laughs> so, all right. So that was, <laughs> uh, that was un- unexpected. But I, I sat down. And really what you need to do when you go into a deluxe box set is to tell the story of that album. So that was important. If I'm going to do this... We need to cover that area, what was happening, and um, ideally quotes from people. And uh, I wanted as much as possible to use quotes that I had been involved in getting myself. So I did go back to the podcast. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's all. It also ensures that you have stuff that hasn't been used anywhere else. You get exactly. something that's fresh and unique. So the show notes were actually quite helpful. I could go back to the show notes for those every episode we talked to someone. And without those, I doubt they would have had a Mark comment. I mean, Mark 
I didn't have tons of discussions with him about wide long face, and uh, I couldn't find a lot. But he did say something in discussing the crossing about how he contributes to, to vocal lines. And vocal lines on uh, wide long face is a big deal. I think it's their vocal album more than any other album. It's the three part harmonies are really there on that album. So, uh, so he got something in there. And otherwise, we had Bruce going back as far as our first discussion in 2012 he talked about every album but we since went back and talked more about other things so in some there's uh, actually quite a bit and tony was more recent and we um, we kind of ended up talking with each album with him too but white long face came late in the discussions and that was sort of a result of a side comment and i'm so glad we could go deep there because he went into a lot of songs too and talked about um you know the experience of recording there and uh, and all the, all that stuff, all that great stuff that I really haven't seen anywhere else. Mm, yeah. Uh, so uh, so that was good to get in there and and try and represent them well. I mean, we all know it's not Bruce's uh, favorite album, but uh, he doesn't hate the entire album. He has things he likes. He has things he don't like. I try to make it balanced, and the same with with anyone else. More than anything, it's the story of the album, how it did, and how it was made, and. Uh, I hope it's interesting. Uh, people have been very generous with their comments, which uh, I truly appreciate. It's good to see that people feel they, they get something from uh, those liner notes. Oh, it's fantastic. They're they're great liner notes. And if you haven't read them, if you haven't bought the, the set, make sure that you do because, yeah, it, it's it's an excellent set, number one. But, yeah, to get Svein's take on everything and, and to get such an interesting write-up with, as he said, if you're a listener to the podcast, you'd probably be familiar with some of these things. But if not, you really will be getting a lot of new new stuff, new interesting little tidbits and, and clips and comments from the band uh, about the album. So, yeah, I thought it was awesome. and It, it was great. So kudos on that, without a doubt. Yeah, and it's funny because John was email, or messaging with me around that time about that. He was like, well, going to be work, working on this, uh, this this box set of Wild and Long Faces coming out. And he was he was saying something, too, about having trouble figuring out what to do with the liner notes. And I, I was just kidding around. I just said, well, it's fine to do it. It's one of his favorite albums. And he said, okay, maybe I will. <laughs> and sure enough, he sure enough, he did. But I'm really glad that he didn't take that as, you know, that he took that seriously because they, they're really, really fantastic. And it's fine, really, is a really really good writer and what's even more amazing about that is that he's writing in a language that's not his native language i mean he's he's <laughs> he's a much better writer than many many uh english not native english speakers that i know that's for sure and it's it's really good stuff so yeah it's great i'm glad you could do that oh thank you i've always been into to good box sets and uh, i always go for the liner notes myself so i come from that being a fan of liner notes and I want them to tell me something I didn't know. And I want them to tell the story of the album. And yes. so, so I try to really do them as I would have liked them myself. And I, I asked John, how long do you want them to be? <laughs> he was sort of saying, hmm, well, I know you can be verbose. So <laughs> he thought about it and said, well, just, just do them and, and send me what you end up with. So really there was no limit, but I, I tried not to, go on and on and on but uh, if you buy this set i my hope is that these notes can uh, tell you something new and uh, put you back in uh, the shoes of 1995 which is also a cool thing for this to be a time capsule to when the album first came out yeah definitely definitely yeah so yeah great job on that and uh, let's talk about that set a little bit i mean um 
what what are your thoughts on it even from even from beyond the standpoint of writing the liner notes yeah. what are your thoughts on the release i mean it's, it's it's most of it's the stuff same stuff that we've had before but it has been remastered to some degree and there is at least one new demo on there that we've never really heard before there is one new demo i mean there, there are many aspects to to release like this where number one is uh the album is out again. It's been out of print for I don't know how many years. You couldn't buy White Long Face. And now you can, and you can buy it in a four CD deluxe box for the same price really as a new CD. So uh, this um, this makes me very hopeful. This is the second box set that Cherry Red has put out in as many years with mm. Big Country, starting with Kansas, and now they're doing White Long Face. Is there hope for uh, Skinners? Is there hope for Damascus? Who knows? Uh, I, I'm really uh, liking the trend that they're coming out with this, and it's the same kind of slip uh, case uh, box set. It's not like this huge, stiff cardboard, uh, open the lid and look in the treasure chest within, but it's kind of a little more compact uh, treasure chest. <laughs> right. so, so, I, so I like that uh, You know, the trend is extremely promising. I'm, it's so cool to see this come out in a box set and uh, just to mention the cover because we talked about this a lot and obviously there are reasons why they can't use the the stock photo that they don't have the rights to that came out in 95 and we talked about that and the problems with that in our covers episode which we did five years ago or so but I I, I really like it I think uh, the fact that they tried to come as close as possible to that and pay homage to it um, that that's really cool. I know John says they used the wrong dog. He has, <laughs> right. he has he has a candidate of his own, and I like the yellow. That kind of is a throwback to the singles. All the singles of that time had a yellow background. All the You Dreamer ones and the yeah. EP and vinyl yeah. and all of that had a yellow thing. So all of it it seems very thought out, and I like that. It's it's well thought out. Me too. And, and the contents, all the CDs come in cardboard cases that has not identical but similar thing except Eclectic, which comes in the Eclectic uh, cover. Now, Eclectic was also out of print, and you can discuss should that be part of the of the set. I don't think it does any harm being here. I don't think it, it takes the place of anything. So you kind right, of right. get Eclectic for free is, is my take on it. Uh, and even with a couple bonus tracks on there too, some covers from other places. Website releases, so yeah, uh, I mean it's 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 really cool. Um, I had some inputs on uh, the organization of the set, where CD two really is the B sides. All the B sides from all the singles is on CD two, and uh, CD three is eclectic, and CD four is demos. And uh, I wanted all the demos to be on the same disc. I wanted uh, I'm one in a million to take its place in that chronology. I wanted the Blue and the Green Planet to take its place in that chronology. But because they were used as B-sides, Cherry Red really wanted to keep them with the bonus tracks and keep that complete, which is a different take on it. But yeah, they're all there. But listening through the entire album as demos would have been uh, cool because the B-sides is just a hodgepodge when you think about it. The order doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. So, um, so that's that. And one thing we also found out, which we talked about in the past, and I don't know if, if you have been become aware of it since but uh, just for anyone's information that um, cool version of blue on a green planet is actually the true original demo version of that song and that was reworked into the full-on assault rock version the pretty and pink version that we know from the album so i thought actually the cool version of that song was uh, a different take an eggplant take, if you will, of that song, but uh, but not so. That was actually the starting point. So then, really, wow. Yeah, that, and that 
I didn't know until those discussions during this album being put together. So that was uh, that was an insight. Yeah, and I didn't know that either, that either. So, so you're saying that 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 sort of jazzy, bluesy type version of that song was the original kind of the original state. That was the demo that was uh, put together first. Wow, that's a surprise. And from that, they ended up with a rock version. So they they definitely moved away from that. But uh, yeah, that that's um, that was a surprise to me too. But that's the reason why there isn't a demo of Blue and a Green Planet on the demo thing, because the demo is the B-side that we know as the cool version, and that's on the B-side disc. So that means that we have all the demos for every song on Wide Long Face as well, which increases the number of albums that we have a complete set of demos from. I was always thinking that that song was missing, but it wasn't. It was just that one disguised as a cool version that was done later. So um, we, we did get one new song, and that is the demo too Far From Me To You. If you're looking for it, new stuff you can get out of this, it's only one song, really. If you were a super fan back in the 90s, you bought every single, every EP, and you have all the rarities, well, then you, uh, you might not get tons of new stuff here. But if you're that kind of fan, you probably want to buy this anyway. It's just because you get yeah. it, you get it organized. Now the the album has been freshly remastered. All the others, I don't know if they have been remastered. I think they have been more leveled to uh, to be on the same level. Yeah, that's what I would think too. That's what it sounds like to me. I do not have the sort of inside scoop on that, but uh, the album definitely sounds remastered, and the rest plays well on the same CD. But it's definitely uh, not the same treatment. Yeah, I think it sounds great. You know, it's uh, it's it's not like I don't consider it such a difference as between the you know American version of Buffalo Skinners versus the UK, for example, as far as remastering goes. But it's yeah. it's good. It's a it's a strong uh, it's a, a strong remaster. It makes everything sound a little bit more modern, I guess you could say. Maybe it's it's more in your face. It's subtle differences, but it's good. It's a great set. And I mean, for me, and, and we've had these on CD before, but. Every time I see them listed on something new, it, it always makes me happy because I remember wanting them on CD for so long. And that is those uh, House in the Woods demos, including yeah. um, what I consider one of the classic underrated big country songs, which is Can You Feel the Winter? So a, a song that doesn't, to me, fit at all thematically with, with most of the stuff on Why the Long Face. I mean, this seems like it's taken right out of the uh, the mid-'80s at Steeltown era of big country in a lot of ways but uh yeah i love that song so to get that on the set and those other other two that came from that those sessions is great and yeah the the far from me to you i mean they were smart cherry red they just one just one new track that we that we don't have and haven't seen before is usually going to be enough to get us to (laughs) to get this you know we've got like 70 80 songs on this that we've all got before but one new one and as a demo, no less. You make it seem very calculated. <laughs> I think it is, but uh, I'm, I'm glad. But it makes you wonder, like, well, why didn't they release this before? You know, I wonder why. But um, was there just no room for it? Did they just decide not to. And but anyway, I'm glad they released this one. I know this song means a lot to you, based on uh, the deep dive we did of this album. So, and it means a lot to me too, for different reasons. But I really like this song, and it's cool to hear anything that we haven't heard before. So. Um, yeah, so that makes it worth it alone to me. But yeah, I, I like the new cover too. I actually really like the the yellow and that throwback that you mentioned. Uh, in yeah. some ways, I like it better than the original. And of, of course, I know the original is always going to be tattooed on on our memories of Big Country. But I think it's a little more striking. But as you say, what I what I really like is that Cherry Red really seems to be putting some 
some thought into these releases and and not just throwing them together in some crappy package, knowing that many people would probably buy it anyway. But they, they really are putting some, some effort into it. And uh, even thinking about the band's past and, and trying to tie the new covers and the new look into what they did at the time. So, yeah, that's really heartening. And I, I'm really interested to see what they might do next, what what uh, what sort of box sets might come out in the future. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully also containing something new, if there's anything left. <laughs> Maybe if they do Damascus in the future, we will get the full version of The President Slipped and Fell. Oh, man, that's right. Remember that discussion? Yeah, wasn't there like something extra at a the hard, end? A hard edit on that song, and it goes on significantly longer in the demo. I that's just right, think that's right, yeah. the album version has that hard edit. I, I'm sure there's a much longer version of that song. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That'll yeah, put that so... to rest. <laughs> there's always little things to look for. But uh, like you say, it's extremely uh, pleasing to see them put some effort into it. And it's inexpensive, too. This is not an expensive set at all. Uh, if you look at all the music you get, even if you have it from before, it's, um, it, it's anyone can afford this. If, if you have any kind of interest in the band, this is not a huge investment. Uh, however, it might still be an investment because I expect it to sell out. I expect it to go the way of every other big country release we have seen of the past years. So if you're interested in getting this, don't wait until you have to go to eBay. I, I don't think it's going to be around forever. So so get it while you can. That's that's my sincere and well-meant advice. Yeah, very good. That's a pretty big thing that's happened since uh, we last spoke, so so we had to spend a little time on that. There's obviously also been other releases. We're not going to spend as much time on them, but um, we need to mention, for example, uh, if we're going by chronology, we have Skid's World on Fire. Yeah, yeah. That's been out quite a while at this point. Yeah, it has. I, and uh, that was, I think a lot of us were surprised when we first heard, I can't even remember, remember when, that they were going to go back and record new music because... I know Jobson had said that after the, the first reunion, I, I remember him saying that he probably wouldn't be doing it again. But like all these guys, you know, the I, I guess just that feeling and, and just that feeling of creating music and being able to share that with people, it's I would imagine that that's hard to, to shake. And we've seen it with Tony as well, who's also made similar proclamations and and changed. You know, so, so Jobson has come back and he wanted to do a new album. Which I think is great. Yeah, he he said that he he wanted to make sure that uh, if the Skids did something else, that they had something new to to revolve around when they toured again. And um, I think they put together a really really strong album. I really like it a lot. Uh, there's a lot of great songs on this album, and a lot of interesting sounds as well. I mean, you definitely have that Skids template that's in use there, and they're not straying too far from it. But with with Bruce and Jamie handling the guitars, I mean, I think they've got such a good understanding, obviously, especially Bruce, um, of what made that sound, uh, what made that skid sound work so well. And, and they, they've got some just vicious guitar sounds on this album, which I think really, mm -hmm. really are great. And, and in some ways, it's like heavier than, than almost like heavy rock at times, more than what is the traditional skid sound. But uh, we should also say that it was produced by Youth, former member of Killing Joke, I believe. I can't remember his real name. Oh, this probably is his real name. What is he? Probably in his 60s now, and yet he's still called Youth. <laughs> Good for him. We hereby rename him Old. <laughs> That's right, Coot. Let's name him Coot. 
but uh, <laughs> Knuts. It's been a it's been a couple months since I've listened to this album. I should have I should have given it a quicker listen before recording this, but a lot of this stuff is still fresh on my mind. But we'd all heard a world on fire um, before because that was released well before the album came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a lot of the other stuff, I think, uh, I was I was really pleasantly sur- not surprised because I expected something good, but I, I was really pleased with it. I mean, some of the standout tracks to me would be like Kings of the New World Order, I think is a really good song. Um, I love Burning Cities, too. I love kind of the slow chanting feel of that. It's got almost kind of a hurry on boys kind of feel. And um, my my youngest son will sing that in the car when I'm playing it. <laughs> it's like gotten his head really quickly. Desert Dust, which is another pretty striking acoustic, more of an acoustic track. Mm. Um, I, th- I think it's a good album. I think it's a good album. If, if there's one criticism that I'd have of the album, I would say that some of Jobson's lyrics really didn't hit me the way his earlier lyrics had. I mean, it's it seemed like a lot of his lyrics on this album were much more straightforward Um than than the stuff he originally wrote with the skids uh which I loved and that stuff was so so much more abstract and difficult to decipher but it was very very interesting just the wordplay was very very interesting and if you could figure out what he was saying <laughs> which was, wasn't always easy but I don't I don't get that as much here he's he's much more straightforward on here um for the most part and for the most part it works but there are times where I'm kind of missing that that more interesting lyrical approach that he that he had, and I, I remember having the same feelings about some of Stewart's later work too. But I, I think it was, you know, more so on this one in some respects. But yeah, he did uh, mention the lyric writing in the book, which we'll talk about uh, in a minute. Uh, that he brought in some lyrics that youth found too depressive and too dark, and yeah. he uh, reminded him that. Skids used to be a very positive force about personal reinforcement and uh, a glimmer of hope and, and those kind of things, which kind of was an interesting take in itself. But uh, at least uh, Jobson rewrote some words based on that feedback. So that might have shaped it. So maybe, you know, we would have had that the brooding dark album if it wasn't for old. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it, even saying all that, he does have a song called Sabotnik, which uh, <laughs> when I when I saw that, I was like, what is what does that mean? I had to go look look that up. And uh, apparently, as I'm looking at the Wikipedia site right now, it is a common name for Russian sects of Judaizers of Christian origin who split from other Sabbatarians in the 19th century. <laughs> so I don't know if that helps clarify that or not, but um, oh, so, still pretentious. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. That's that's his comeback to what what my slight criticism was. <laughs> Did you not hear Sabotniks? <laughs> yes, he wrote it. In, he wrote about something that youth wouldn't be able to identify. It does change. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's a really interesting album. I, I just uh, on a more personal note, I'm really glad that both Mike and Bill are involved in skids, and especially after reading uh, Richard Jobson's book, where it becomes clear that both those were, you know almost bullied out of the band. Certainly Mike was bullied out of the band by, by Russell Webb and, and Bill left uh, also on vague terms and not in an yeah. entirely positive way. So so having them back now is actually uh, good on a human level to see that they they are there. They're, they're the right ones to be there and, yeah. and that's awesome. And uh, another, just as an aside, I mean, uh, this is just an observation really. I, I remember... Bruce saying that he had written 20 songs for this album. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember him saying that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and he has a writing credit on three of these. So there's clearly more songs knocking about. Uh, and uh, Jobson himself has said they have songs going that they can make another album. So who knows? You know, coming from the big country kind of view, you look to the Watsons to sort of lead the way. But if you look at it more from a purist skids point of view, perhaps uh, you shouldn't do that. So I come at this from a, this is likely a cool album by people I like point of view. Uh, I, I was never a diehard skids fan, although uh, having read Jobson's book, I'm probably more into them now than I have ever been. And going back and checking, because now I have a context, which I never had. I never had a context for each album. Mm. And I guess this is taking us a bit into the book. We might as well just do yeah. that. That one thing I really liked about that book was how he, for each album, would uh, really try to describe this is how the sessions were like. These are the people we worked with. This is where we stayed. This is how we worked. And these are the songs. This is how the songs came about. And by the way, this song is about this. This song is about that. It's quite telling about things that I often criticize other books for not being too detailed about. He has that stuff. so And, and yeah. that was really fascinating for each album to, to get really a clear context set for them. And not just necessarily the recording, the technical and the writing, but where were they at in their heads? Like, this is what I was thinking of. This is what we were concerned about as a band. Uh, this is how close we were. This is how not so close we were. You know, at any point, you, you kind of sense... You get all the stuff that was poured into the album is really well documented. That is the strength of this book to me, is how he really details all that stuff in the book. Um, and then you have the interpersonal stuff. And really, when you look at it, this book is about the relationship between Jobson and Stuart. It's about the two of them. And it, all the others, they are, they are there and there's definitely written about, but they become bit players when it comes to you know those two and uh, how important that relationship was. They were the constant in skits. They always were back then. Um, it, it stemmed from their relationship. The direction came from them and uh, the music came from them. So the whole dynamics of their relationship is really the interesting bit for me. 
So, uh, so that is really interesting. And, um, <laughs> I read um, the review of this book in Classic Rock magazine, and uh, that uh, that really. Uh, oh, I didn't even read that. Yeah, that that, that was a bit funny. I mean, they, they gave it six out of 10 stars, which I would I would give it more. I would certainly give it eight, if not nine. I think it was a really good read um, in terms of content anyway. The, the language was a little here or there. But they, they said in the review, and I quote, I was sometimes a bit of a wanker, admits skid singer Richard Johnson on the very first page of a memoir that doesn't go into quite enough wanker behavior detail. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that kind of hits the spot a little bit um he doesn't really um he doesn't come across as a sort of uh, distasteful man or treating other people uh, unkindly or anything like that uh, so uh, if there's more then that wasn't uh, revealed and also the uh, also from the same review when i quote after 200 pages of antipathy towards adamson jobson has the gall to declare i never felt any antipathy towards stewart <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, there was definitely a lot well, of things happening in that book, and if you just look at one incident, like the the Hammersmith show, uh, yeah. which he carried that with him for the rest of the book, really. Uh, what I think he means when he say that, and I'm trying to, I, I think this is true. I don't think he carried anything with him once the skids were over. I think he, um, I think he uh, was happy to see Stuart have success with Big Country. I think when they met, they were good. He he mentions visiting them at home, meeting Sandra and the kids. I think at that point they were fine, but there was definitely um, antipathy while they were in the band by uh, Stuart's behavior, which was he would disappear from time to time, which is very interesting to um, to read about. And uh, you think of similar episodes in Big Country that he would go home, he would need to disappear. And he wouldn't always say that he would leave. He wouldn't say when he came back. And when they came back, it was never discussed. He would just showed up and uh, continue as normal. So, so that that aspect was interesting, and especially when Jobson writes, he spoke with people that that worked with Stuart later, and uh, it never changed. <laughs> and I yeah. think we know who worked with Stuart later. So, <laughs> right, yeah. Who could that be? Yeah, I I agree with. Uh generally everything you're saying. I didn't read that review. I'd like to, to read that because I, all I have, um, you know, talking about this with you now is the only time that I've ever gotten any other viewpoints on this book. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's full of, it's full of incredible information about that time period. And I, I was pleasantly surprised about an aspect of the book is because I really thought it was going to be an autobiography about Richard Jobson that, that, went from his entire life, you know, through the skids into the armory show, into his filmmaking career and up to now. And, um, it really was, was nothing but a skids memoir, which suited me just fine because I, I, yeah. I, I love, love that band. And as you said, we, we really, we really don't have a ton of information about them, at least from Richard Jobson's perspective, uh, as far as a lot of those albums that were made and, and what was going on at the time and, and what they were doing. So, yeah, I, I found it really, really fascinating. And it was one of those books that I read very quickly. I mean, I, I couldn't put it down because it, it was so interesting to have an insight and a window into what was going on. And especially the, the relationship with Stuart. I mean, that obviously that was going to be one of the main things that I was interested in. And, um, yeah, I, while while I understand that little jab that you that you read from Classic Rock, uh, I I I wouldn't really characterize a lot 
of the criticisms that he has for Stewart in that book as uh, antipathy, I guess. I, I mean, you could tell he was he was upset about a lot of it, but when he when he talked about it, he also talked about it as if he knew that there were some. He wasn't excusing it, but he but he had some sense that he understood there were some reasons for this, yes. uh, some weaknesses in Stewart's uh, character. You might want to say, and I don't mean that as an as an insult, really. But he, he he even references in the book like some sort of vague reference to something that happened in Stewart's family at a young age that really bothered him, and he and he never talks about what that is. Maybe he didn't even know what it was, but I assume he must have known something. Uh, to to bring that up, um, but he just leaves that out there, and he and he sets the stage, I think, uh, really clearly that that Stewart was troubled, even from an early age, uh, that he that he had things that he had these demons that bothered him sometimes more than others, and um, so while while Stewart's behavior I know was troublesome and bothersome to him, and he couldn't understand a lot of why he would do some of these things, like not showing up for that gig until the very last minute and leaving them all wondering what was going to happen um, on such a huge momentous occasion. He did always sort of say that he, he always sort of gave a, a sense of, you know, I, this is Stuart. I know that he's like this and I know that there's something troubling him, even though I don't appreciate what he's doing. Maybe that sort of tempered the anger a little bit because it made it seem like he didn't think Stuart was doing these things out of sheer, um, you know, not caring about the other band members or just being self-centered or narcissistic. He was doing it because he was dealing with things that were painful, that were causing him some sort of pain. And, um, you know, so I, I found that, that whole thing interesting. And it, and it was really interesting to, to see, even though we'd heard more about this over the past few years, but to see that Stuart really had this inclination to disappear even as early as the skids, which I, which I thought was fascinating. Um, and you could really tell that he just and, – and Richard Jobson made this very clear in his book that as they grew apart, as they grew older, they grew apart. And Stuart wanted these more traditional things in life like a stable family life, a stable home life, whereas Richard Jobson – you know, we, we'd always been told in the past and it, and it did make him appear in the past as if he was just some, you know – fancy lad about town and just wanted to go out and party all the time and was just really, you know, into that nightlife, the London nightlife scene. And apparently he was, but what, what I never really knew until recently was that he struggled with, with epilepsy since he was a kid and that he didn't even think that he would live that long. And a lot of the way that he reacted in his life was because of this feeling that he didn't have long to live. So, um, because of various health issues. So it's very interesting that, and ironic that he's the one, and he point, he's pointed this out in the book, you know, that he's the one who's still around and uh, the guy who wanted something stable is not. And it's, it's, it's kind of a sad irony there. You know, uh, I, mm-hmm. I'm glad he's still around. I wish both of them were still around, but, um, but yeah, from a, from a musical standpoint, it really is very interesting to get an insight into the band and what they were thinking, or especially around these times, like the last album that they did, uh, you know, I, I found that <laughs> really interesting. I, I didn't realize that Stuart was as involved as he was even in the Joy album. I mean, I knew that he there were these rumblings that he played on Iona, but 
I never could even hear any guitar in that song as much as I try to to find it. It's very very subtle, but uh, I guess yeah. he w- was there and trying to work stuff out. But yeah, you, you're laughing I think because you know what I'm, what I'm leaning toward as far as his thoughts on Iona. God, that's that's. Um, I don't know if it's fun <laughs> reading or if it's just grim reading, but uh, I think. Uh... You know, another thing we can conclude after reading this book is that Jobson holds no grudges unless your name is Russell Webb. <laughs> I know. I know. No, th- that album and that man, that really gets a thrashing. Now, uh, he does stand up for Joy, but uh, under certain uh, sort of pretexts that uh, there, there are things, there are specific things he likes and specific things he don't like. And uh, if you view something a certain way, then it's not so bad. If you view it another way, then it's bad. For one thing, it shouldn't be a skits album. Yeah. Um, and uh, for another thing, he probably should have worked with someone not called Russell Webb. <laughs> oh, yeah. He did, he just destroys the – I was surprised to read that he didn't write the lyrics to Iona. And uh, you know, if anyone wonders what we're talking about specifically, he, he, uh, he says that he kind of suggests that Russell Webb tried to sort of take over the songwriting process for the Joy album and, and wanted to to re, to write Iona, the lyrics to Iona, which I guess Richard had been working on and Job and Webb didn't seem to like them and thought he could do a better job himself, according to Richard Jobson. And um Richard Jobson just talks I mean he he just writes some scathing sentences about what he thinks of those lyrics, which when I read them, I, when I read what he said about them, I thought, wow, I never really <laughs> – I always thought they were fine lyrics. <laughs> I didn't really have a huge issue with them. I and could I, never make them out. Yeah, yeah, really. That was I never bothered to look him up. You know, that's uh, – I, I would be interested now. But that that he really tears that guy a new one. And yeah. uh, he uh, – well, he, he tries to explain why. I think um, he was obviously too uh, – Disheartened, shall we say, to to resist Webb's attempts at taking over the band and the direction and and uh, orchestrating the you know dismissal of other band members, uh, the drummer Mike, who is back now, for example. There were there were things that you know that that's the uh, if you're looking for any kind of uh, sensationalism, that would be it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and what's interesting about that too is that I I don't have any of this confirmed, but I've heard rumors that. The Armory Show might be uh, getting together to do some stuff as well, and that—that that was the band that Richard was in with Russell Webb after the Skids, with yes. uh, John McGough on on guitar. So now I don't know what the lineup of that would be because unfortunately we're going to be dealing with another guitar player who's no longer alive because of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I don't know if if that's something Bruce would also step into if they had if they would have someone else, uh, but. Mainly after that book, I don't know if, if Russell Webb would be the bass player. No, he makes so. it pretty clear that this is not a guy I want to associate with, and I would never work with him to this day. Oh, he de- okay, he does say that. Yeah, he say, right. he says yeah. He goes very far. He's he is if he works with Russell after this book, or if Russell even would contemplate working with Jobson after that book, that would be quite a big thing. <laughs> well, see, that would be really interesting for the Armory show then, because he and he and Jobson were very much a key to to the songs that were written for that. Yeah. So it would almost be like, well, there would really be nothing from the Armory show, and I, you know, it doesn't matter to me either way. I I'm not much of an Armory show fan. I think Castles in Spain is a good song. I've listened to bits of their album, but I really haven't listen to the whole thing in any sort of serious way. I, I've always meant to and just haven't done it. But um, 
Yeah, the, and funnily enough, too, like the Russell Webb period of the skids is my favorite period of the skids. I, that that was uh, – I, I liked him as a bass player. I, I love the absolute game. I, it's probably uh, – that and Days in Europa would be my favorite skids albums, um, probably with the absolute game getting a slight nod. But I, I just – when I started getting into the skids, it was because of that Russell Webb period, and then I worked backwards and appreciated all of it. But – yeah, so I was surprised that he, he harbors those feelings toward the guy. Yeah, a solid musician. He does give him credit for the musicianship, but it's uh, the uh, the element of taking control and uh, bullying other people and some of those things that made it hard as time went on. I think yeah. uh, he, he was quite fresh in the band for the Absolute Game, so there we get the benefit of the musicianship and perhaps not yet all the other things. Yeah, and I know when the, when this latest Skids reunion was about to take place, there was some some talk online of about Russell Webb, and I think he was because he's pretty active on Facebook, and and he was expressing yeah. disappointment that he was not asked to be the bass player or not asked to be a part of it. But I guess we now we know why. <laughs> maybe maybe it's news to him too. I don't know. I'd like to hear his comments on some of these things. I must admit going to his profile and seeing if he had a comment on uh, the Jobson book, but I didn't find anything. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> you did too? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I didn't go s- necessarily go searching for that, but I, I'm actually friends with him uh, on Facebook, and so I see what he posts. And uh, Yeah, me too. Yeah, so I haven't seen him say anything. But uh, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the, only, the only criticism that I have about the book um, – and I, I said this on the Facebook page, and I always hesitate to do to say things like this because it comes across as like pretentious or pompous or whatever. But I sometimes I think you know it's it's important to have that this kind of a standard. I, I was really shocked at how like poorly written from a grammatical standpoint a lot of the book was for Richard Jobson because he's obviously a very intelligent guy and a very learned guy. And I was expecting like, and he's written novels and he's written screenplays and movies. And, uh, I was expecting like, okay, well this book is going to be very well written. And it was in the sense that there were good details and there were, you know, colorful, uh, metaphors used and things like that. But it's like some of the, some of the structure of the, of the writing was, was difficult at times to follow. Like I had to, I had to read things, a number of times to understand what was being said, you know, like commas were in weird places and sentences running on all over the place. And, um, you know, I think the book could have really benefited from, a from some strong proofreading and maybe some, a good editor to make it flow a little bit better. And, and, you know, if I'm a native English speaker saying that I, I can imagine it must've been difficult for people who, are reading this and English isn't their first language and they might be having more of a difficult time with it. But that would, that would be a minor criticism because you can get through that. And the, the content was certainly fantastic. Yeah. He's a, he's a fantastic narrator, but uh, this, I think we can close out then with the final quote from the classic rock magazine uh, review where they say, Jobson can't spell Berkeley square or Billy McKenzie. And he thinks someone called Dan was in Simple Minds. <laughs> <laughs> but they quickly add, but he is a fascinating narrator. Uh, now, the, the, fu- the funny thing about the Dan thing is that he, 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 he means Derek. <laughs> Did he say Dan in the book? Yeah, in place oh, of Derek. That's funny. He, he listed all the guys. So it was like Jim, Charlie, so-and-so, and Dan. 
So <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, I should have I should have picked up on that, but I just probably figured not being a huge Simple Minds fan from back then, I figured maybe there was a guy named Dan in Simple Minds I wasn't aware of. Yeah, it should be Derek. Well, the last thing I'll say about it is the one thing that he said that that I found really striking, and that was when he. I wish I had the book in front of me right now. I don't, but he, when he described Stewart on meeting him for the first time, and he said something like, uh, "This this tall, gangly guy with great hair," and then he said, "Like with with small, burning black eyes," and I thought <laughs> that is great. That is a great description of kind of the way Stewart looked back then. He's burning black eyes. I thought that was really nice. Nice. So anyway, pick pick the book up. It's it's definitely worth it. Even if you're not a huge Skids fan, you'll get a lot of insight into Stewart during that period, and it's it's a fascinating read. Uh, it, it is a great uh, book, really. And uh, like we said, it, it reads really well, apart from some linguistic flaws and a few passages that are repeated. But it, it really is gripping stuff, and you couldn't put the book down. I couldn't put the book down. So that's uh, that's a good endorsement right there. And we spoke quite a bit about this book, so let's be quicker about the other things. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Tony Butler released his My Time finally also this year. Um, we um, we haven't spoken about the album at all. We have spoken briefly about the book. That is, you spoke about it in the Yuletide. Um, what do we think about the album? I like the album. I think it's good. I, I think it's... Um... It might be his best solo release. I think it's, I think it's close with the, uh, with the first one that he put out. Um, yeah. I, it, there, in fact, I, I'm probably thinking about it now more. I probably would go with the first one, um, but I like this one a lot. There's some songs that I, I got to admit just don't do much of anything for me, and those typically are the songs that are in the more, I guess, like classic rock, progressive type of feel where. There's some some tunes that I feel like just kind of lumber a little bit musically. There's sort of like a they're a little bit ponderous and just kind of plodding, maybe. And then there's some other songs that just jump right out and grab me. Um, you know, uh, she's coming home. We're going to hear probably about a lot about that one from fans. I mean that that is a very big country esque sounding song, but it's definitely my favorite one on the album. And it's not necessarily just because it sounds so much like big country, but it just has a it has a really great lyric that I can relate to. Uh, it's got great instrumentation. It's it bounces. It it's got a joyous feel to it. I, I really love that song. It's one of the four songs with Mark. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, all that stuff helps without a doubt. Yep. Yep.
Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go through every one here, obviously, but uh, I, some other standouts for me are like "I'm Getting Old." I think is a is a really good song. I really like that structurally. Yeah. The closest to punk on the album, I think. Yeah, it is, and, and that's that's one that definitely is not a plotting type of song to me, and that that's that gets going. Also with Mark. Yeah, exactly, and we're see, sensing a theme here. Shall we pick the last two with Mark as well? <laughs> now, see, I'm not totally sure which ones he's on. Is he on? He's not on. Here comes the first one, is he? No, I don't think he's on that one. You can you can tell he's not. Um, but th- that's. I just wanted to say one thing real quick about that one because I think it's it's interesting, and I haven't heard anyone bring this up yet. Um, I think I, I think I might have brought this up on the Yuletide show because I think this song had come out then, and it's a very big country sounding song as far as the structure and guitars and that kind of thing, um, and it's a good hard song. But I, Tony had said on our show that that this kind of came from something that he had been writing with Stewart, uh, like a musical piece and that he rediscovered it i i want to suggest that i think this song is uh the roots of this song are you lose your dreams and if you if you go back and play uh the verses of this song here comes the first one and then play the verses of you lose your dreams i think you'll see a real similarity there in the in the chord structure and in that whole thing of delivering a line letting the guitar come in and carry out the rest of the the stanza and then going back and delivering a line, the guitar comes back in again. Very, very, very similar. And I, I really think that whatever it is that he found that he had written with Stuart must have been related to You Lose Your Dreams in some way. I, I mean, I went back and listened to the two yesterday again, and I think there it's just it's too much of a coincidence and they're too too similar. I mean, this, the song, Here Comes the First One, is not You Lose Your Dreams. It doesn't sound like You Lose Your Dreams as a whole. But just those verses, I think, which which are really standout parts, I think came from that. And that's that's what I believe. Um, I don't even know if Tony would remember the song, You Lose Your Dreams. But uh, it would be interesting to see if he would listen to that again and, and see what he thought about it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it does reunite Tony with Mark um, in, a, in some of these songs. I'll let you talk more about that. And... Uh, it's a, it's a good album from Tony. It's certainly one of those albums where he's really introspective, and you could tell he's come to a point in his life, and hence the title of the album, where he's reflecting on his past, he's reflecting on his future, 
he's reflecting on getting older and you know, mortality and you know it's it's a it's an interesting album from that perspective too and and that probably leads into what you've done and another great piece of writing that's fine has done independent of the podcast um and he can talk about this more but he's he he worked with tony to sort of find out more about each one of these songs and i gotta admit after reading you know what you wrote it it really made me want to go back more to a lot of these songs that i initially sort of brushed aside and just didn't really Mm. songs that really didn't work for me and didn't grab me. Once I read a lot of what you wrote about the impetus for some of these songs, it made me want to go back and give them another chance. And sometimes it worked to their favor. And sometimes it still was like, okay, well, I appreciate the sentiment, but the song still doesn't really do it for me. But other times it made me appreciate the song more. So good. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. And then your own views of the album. Yeah. So again, rocking in the Northlands, let's beat those Aha fans. Let's have more big country fans liking that page. If you do, you would have seen this uh, thing I posted. I posted it about end of June. It was a long piece. It's the longest piece I've ever posted. And in fact, it's so long that Facebook becomes a little cumbersome to read it. So I worked with John to set up a page on bigcountryinfo.com. So you can actually go there and find the full article about my time. Where, um, like you said, I sat down with Tony. I asked him, would you mind going through this with me? And I write an article. And see, he, 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 he hasn't said no to me yet. Whatever we do with him, he's up for it. So we did that. And I asked him some questions. And we didn't really belabor each song, uh, as you saw. And as those who have read it have seen, it's, it's quite long already. And we could have gone even deeper into the songs and made it truly long. But uh, I, think it, I think it does the job. I think it tells the story of each song and the background to them and why it was important for him to write about these things. And you find all the expected uh, topics on it. You find one song about Cornwall, um, a war tale from his neighbor. That was the one I didn't see coming. Uh, a song called Spared about one of his neighbors who survived brutal war from long ago. Oh, yeah. That was in- really interesting. Really interesting. And he spoke with him many, many years ago. He said, that guy's probably dead now. Uh, but he had he was scarred by uh, use of um, chemical weapons and mustard gas and whatnot. But he had, you know, he was spared, but he, he was reliving a life of hell. A lot of interesting stories. So that was something he carried with him more than it being about him. But uh, a good touch is uh, the start of the album, Heaven Saved a Place for You and Boy from the Bush. Two fantastic songs respectively about his mom and his dad. So the first two songs about his parents, and that's really where it all begins. It's with your parents. And then um, moving on from there and into your life. And he has a great uh, cast of characters with him. He has Mark, like we've said. He plays on She's Coming Home, Scared to the Bone, My Big Fairy Heart, and uh, I'm Getting Old. So mm. a bit of mixture. It is, it's not just all the energetic ones. Now, I would have, like you, assumed he played on Here Comes the First One because just like She's Leaving Home, that is one of the big country-ish sounding songs. And that is a stellar song. That might be my favorite along with uh, Save My Dignity, mm. which mm-hmm. is uh, really, really rhythmic and percussive and, and great, great uh, stuff from Tony. It reminds me of some songs from... Uh, from the great unknown like when the trees come down was always having that rhythm and this is another song that has that background rhythm going through it so cool stuff yeah now, i i love this album and for me the benchmark was the great unknown uh that was the album he had to to follow up and be as good as uh, life goes on <laughs> i don't know what happened that, that is a disappointment and he uh, said as much himself that 
that was an album that didn't turn out the way he he hoped. He was, I think, too much in his box by his, himself without any input or corrective input. Uh, but uh, this is, um, I haven't figured out which one is my favorite yet. It, it might be the great unknown still for me too, because I think some of those are so incredible good, some of those songs. And even the even the bad songs are good almost. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, this, but this is growing and it's, I'm still listening to it. It's um, still a new album, I guess. I got it in April. When did we get the digital files? We got that uh, way good after question. the album, didn't we? That was a whole thing. They sent out the digital yeah. files way after the album. So Yeah, it was another one of those wonderful <laughs> uh, pledge music uh, things. Yeah, just like Jobson's book, but I guess you didn't buy it through pledge music. Actually, I did not. Um, I was going to, and I just never did, and I got it through Amazon. But um, yeah. this, the Skids album was, was kind of that way, right? Was That was delayed as well. That was delayed as well. But, but anyway, so I've had this since late April, I would guess. So it's still relatively new. But uh, it's, I'm starting to, you know, it's starting to settle. And I'm uh, really liking it a lot. And uh, new songs are percolating. You know, the poor guy is trapped in his house while uh, his legs are, are healing. And it's taken so long. He wanted to go out and tour this album. That wasn't going to happen because of injury. So uh, wishing Tony the best of recovery. And uh, hoping that this bad can be turned into something good by even more stuff of this quality, because this is this is a return to form. And uh, like I wrote in that article, the the unique thing about this thing is we never knew that we would get this because, you know, when he retired from big country, he retired, period. He said, I'm done with music. I'm, <laughs> I don't want to be contacted. I, I'm done. I'm going to just think about myself now. So um, when he came back, it was... Uh, a well-planned comeback. He, he mulled over this for a couple of years and didn't tell anyone. So that was really, really strong. And uh, that takes us also to the book, which part of the same pledge campaign. It's really separate from the album. It's not really a companion piece at all. Mostly about the latter-day big country. And uh, you spoke about it in the Yuletide. You you got it one day before me. I got it one day after we recorded. So you <laughs> you you skimmed it the day before, and I got it after. So yeah, I was queen for a day that day. Oh, it was a great day. You were yeah, but uh, you. I think you were the first that I knew would get it because everybody <laughs> sat on their ass and waited for the pledge music copy, and that I know. <laughs> for a long time. And we we spotted it on Amazon, and we said yeah. Is it really available on Amazon before the Pledge Music thing? And then we ordered it at the same time. That's right. That's right. So I have two copies of it. <laughs> that's great. But uh, yeah, that, that was a fascinating book. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with anything you said in the Yuletide, which I'm sure people remember exactly what you said. <laughs> yeah, including uh, me. Yeah, including you. <laughs> I don't remember. The fascinating thing is that um, he refers to issues that – led him to leave the band, but he doesn't really say what the issues are. But there are some things I, you know, without saying what is at the heart of things, uh, the one thing that stuck with me, because obviously this describes a growing disconnect in the band. He mentions, for example, entering a room where Mike Peters, Bruce, Mark, and I don't know if there were others, having a conversation. And that conversation would immediately stop when they saw Tony and everybody just wandered off. And Tony just sitting there with a really bad feeling inside, like, oh, he's on, he's, he's one of the enemy now. Because this grew. I mean, it didn't start out that way. It was clearly a split over management, amongst other things. Uh, Tony has said it was also a split over music. He didn't really feel about the music that, that was made the way others did. But uh, over management, that, that's the tricky bit. Because when you align yourself, then you have to stand by that. 
And I think that's what happened. And it's really not rocket science to put this together. So I think that was a very telling example. And it, it was one that I kind of stuck with me. Like when you enter a room and suddenly everything stops and dies down and people disperse. And that's 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 uh, that's a shitty situation. And uh, there might be a reason. Uh, this is Tony's perspective. So that, that's very important to keep in mind. This is Tony's perspective. It's one of multiple perspectives. And that's uh, not a new thing. I mean, I can mention that band that we like to mention from time to time, KISS. Like every founding member of KISS has written an autobiography. So that means that both Tom and I have read about the same things in four different ways, told different by those four guys. It's everybody's perspective. And that's... Uh, what we would have gotten from Big Country if everybody had written the book, we would have seen four different perspectives about the same thing. <laughs> That's so, right. so, so this is one, and uh, it's a fascinating one. Um, it's half a book. Um, Evil tongues refer to it as a pamphlet. I'm not gonna go that far, but it's it's a short book, and it there could have been more. But uh, anyway, it's it's a book that I don't know how I feel about. There, there are some nuggets of information that that's interesting to me. But uh, there's definitely gaps in uh, in how it is. But I think it tells enough. Of, we we know why he feels bad in the situations he describes, and um, there's enough to fill in the blanks yourself. And so that that's a book that's been out a while. So I think everybody's read it and are done with it now. So uh, we can move on to the next uh, bit if you don't have anything else to add. Uh no, not really. Uh, I'll just add one little comment. I guess it is is that. Uh... Can we can we call it a book or is it a gigantic pamphlet? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's no. the question, isn't it? It it is quite short and small. I remember opening that package and I was like, "What? What is this?" <laughs> you know, the thing that threw us off is that Pledge Music was quick to put up a mock-up of a thick book, hardbound of this thing, and that sets an expectation. So yeah. Imagine when we get the package in the uh, in the in the mail, and it it's not hardbound, and it's not as thick as on the picture. Is it misleading, or is it just <laughs> right. uh, you know? I know how they operate, so I I knew exactly. You know, I wasn't surprised at all. But yeah. it, it can it can be misleading. Yeah, I, I remember being very surprised. But yeah, but that said, I mean, it's Tony. It's Tony's comments. It's worth getting by by any stretch. And um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It, it probably brings up more questions than it answers but uh yeah uh, that's tony but it, it's it's definitely worth buying especially along with the with the album so yeah and we can mention that there are nuggets of uh episodes and stories from uh, all of his life in this book in between you know as it comes up as an aside it's never really the main focus and i guess that's the the thing everybody would love to see a big country kind of like what jobson did for skids that that's that's what I would love to see, but that's not what we're getting, and that's never what this book was meant to be. So right. maybe one day, even though Tony says he wants Ian to write that book, which uh, you know I, I prefer to have a band <laughs> member write that book myself. But uh, and uh, we didn't mention this for the Jobson book. Ian makes an appearance toward the end, and I don't think he gets uh, a good rap either. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Certainly, certainly not the level of Russell Webb um, anger, but. Uh... No, Basically, just sort of saying he, he didn't do much for us. <laughs> and that was a recurring thing. It, that, that surprised me that even um, – what's his face? Be above the looks. Oh, Bill Nelson. Yeah. Even Bill Nelson, when his management company took care of skills, they, they weren't impressed with him either. So they, they were riddled with uh, management issues during 
entire career, really, as long as they yeah. last. It. So that's uh, that's a recurring thing. That's got to be a hard job, you know. To to be fair, you know, to to any to any band, you're either as a manager, if you break a band, you're awesome. If you don't, you suck. You know, it's just like there's indeed, and it's it's just like I'm sure there's so many different things going on. So um, let's talk about uh, another one, ESP, which yes. is uh, Mark Bersicki's project with uh, Tony Lowe. They have rebranded themselves ESP 2.0, which I I don't understand <laughs> that that number because because it, it's not like Invisible Din was the first album by ESP. It was the first one with Mark. So that wasn't 1.0, uh, but never mind that. It's... Um, it's like, well, I'm the expert on all things ESP, and I think I can totally explain where they're coming from on this. Oh, oh please do. Uh, uh, I thought you would ignore what I just said. <laughs> I, I've got nothing. That's what I wanted to have. <laughs> I got what I needed. No, uh, nobody can explain that one, I guess, except Tony Lowe. But uh, they did put out their album in April as well. It's called 22 Rays of Sunshine. I do regard it as the second one. They started with Mark's involvement. Uh, I don't think about things they might have done in the 90s. But uh, the thing to keep in mind is that ESP has always been uh, Tony Lowe's uh, vehicle. It's his project. It's his brand. And he has always worked with different musicians. So um, that uh, made an announcement that he made in uh, June. Not so unexpected, really. I, I know I'm leaping a little bit ahead of myself here because the album in itself should also be discussed. But just to clarify where Mark stands in terms of this project, and the announcement was titled ESP Project Announcement. And uh, I'm just going to read the highlights here because it's it's rather long. So the highlights would read, due to continuing problems with logistics and clashes with other schedules for live shows, Mark Bersecki will not be playing live on future dates. To avoid any confusion and rumors about the project, I started ESP as a vehicle for my own music in the 90s, in between producing other artists. In 2015, I decided to write and record a new ESP album, and I thought about asking some of my colleagues to play on it as guest musicians. The response was great, and I sent them the parts I'd written to play, or in some cases improvise around, and Invisible Din was born. I also asked Mark Brzecki to play drums on the album, and he put his own wonderful stamp on it. We also agreed it would be a good idea if he fronted this particular album with me for promotional purposes. So we called it Low and Bersicki's ESP with special guests. So that's already an interesting point. <laughs> what a great name. <laughs> yeah. And that, is that going <laughs> to make it easier for people to, uh, to, to get banned? Oh, it's the, it's the Bezhezhevsky album. Low <laughs> <laughs> and Brzezhevsky. And special guests. <laughs> but uh, it worked. Certainly a lot of checked it out because of Mark's yeah. involvement. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if this gives Mark's enough credit because he was quite vested in that. That is clear from his background and his interest in Prague, but also not just drumming, but singing on two songs on that album. He, he clearly was quite uh, invested in it. So um, that takes us to the last half of this announcement. I continue. After the launch gig in 2016, we realized that the lineup on the album was nigh on impossible to get together for any future shows with everybody's schedules clashing. The same is happening for 22 layers of sunlight. Unfortunately, Mark was finding that he was unable to be there on some of the dates due to clashes with Big Country and Big Minds. So we had to find a drummer to replace him. 
Enter the brilliant Greg Pringle that I worked with for three years in Simon Townsend's live band. He's a fantastic drummer and quite capable of playing the material to a very high standard. We'd like to thank Mark for all his great playing on the project and wish him the best with his other endeavors. Please welcome Greg Pringle to this project. Tony Lowe, June 2018. They said the same thing about Pat Ahern <laughs> and Chris Bell. No, they didn't. <laughs> Greg Pringle, you will have big boots to fill, my friend. I wish his name was Chris. <laughs> it's interesting that uh, obviously he prioritizes big country, but even big minds is prioritized above ESP. Yeah. That doesn't leave much hope for future ESP activity in my book. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's for sure. I I wasn't aware of all that. But I mean, did did they? I, I'm assuming they toured for the first release. Do you have any idea as to you know whether they had a good turnout for that? They did well. I mean, this is not a high-profile project, but they uh, they are popular. And I read in a Classic Prog magazine a lot of coverage for them. So hmm. I I think they have their audience. I, I, I don't know what it means that uh, Mark is more invested in a project like Big Minds if they're bigger, but I think that's more his music, so I think that's more to do with that. But I think it's definitely on the level of that. And Mark toured with them for the Invisible Dint Tour for select dates. He wasn't there every date, but he did play with them. Oh, interesting. All right. I would love to hear some of that live stuff because uh, I think Invisible Dint is a good album, but I do like the new one a bit more. It's a little bit more forward-leaning uh, in terms of uh, not necessarily aggression. That's the wrong word to use for this music. But it's uh, a little bit more intense, a bit more in your face, a little bit more, shall I say, modern prog, a lot more active uh, things happening behind the kit. I think I would imagine that Mark would be uh, a happier drummer on 22 Rays of Sunshine than he was on Invisible Din, which was more of an atmospheric album. admit you know i i heard invisible dead a few times uh that was shared with me by you and i liked it more than i thought i would I, prog is not really my type of music i like to to rock almost exclusively but uh i appreciate it 
but I, it, it was good. It was an interesting project, but I, I have not heard anything from ESP 2.0, um, but I've heard you and John mention that you thought it was better. Yeah. So I'll have to check it out. Shit! With that, we actually have releases from both Bruce, Tony, and Mark in the first half of uh, 2018. So that's uh, very interesting. Yeah, seriously. They're, those guys are active, I tell you. They are. And um, the band is active too. They've been touring quite a bit. We're going to just wrap up with some of those activities because some of them have been very interesting. And we can start with the return to Japan for the first time since 1984. Yeah, amazing. And that that just happened within the last week as we're recording this. So they just got back. And uh, I I don't know how these guys do it. I mean, uh, they have to be one of the hardest working bands. Uh, I mean, and I'm thinking you know, of all of them, but I'm also especially thinking about Bruce and Jamie because they're doing this. They're doing the skids. I know that they got they have skids stuff coming up this weekend as we record this. So, I mean, with the rare times when I go abroad, I'm usually just beat when I get back for a few days, you know, just like a week yeah. even. And uh, these guys come back from Japan and then they maybe rest for a day or two and then they go right back out somewhere playing again. And I mean, I know they love what they're doing. Obviously they wouldn't be doing it, but that, that's a, that's a grueling, that's a grueling lifestyle to be traveling that much and gone from place to place. And especially these big trips. So you know, it's amazing. Especially those trips, because what they're doing is not a well-planned tour of Asia where they can go from country to country. They're flying from Scotland to Japan, literally the other side of the world, and then back again. Yeah, they're, unreal. It's a, it's a sort of one-stop trip. Uh, it's just another week in the touring life of big country. But they, they made good use of it because they played uh, early and late shows on all days. So they were in Tokyo on uh, the 8th and 9th of August and in Osaka on the 11th early on late show all day. So they got in uh, six gigs in Japan, which I think mm. is uh, more than they did in 84. So the Japan fans finally got what they have been waiting for. So that's uh, awesome. And they did good on Australia too. And they're going back there soon. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's another one of those gigantic trips, you know, but uh, <laughs> they just, they just do it. They're road warriors at this point. That's, that's for sure. I mean, I, I would encourage anyone to just take a look at their, their calendar on bigcountry.com or um, bigcountry.uk.co or whatever the UK address is. Look, look at their calendar of gigs. I mean, it is, it is booked solid and it's not just like short little, little jaunts to play. I mean, they're, they're traveling a lot. So uh, kudos to them. I mean, and they're, from what I've heard the, from the from the clips I've seen, still sound as strong as ever with with this lineup. So, mm. you know. And it has some other interesting things too happening. And I thought we would end with uh, a couple of very well peculiar gigs, a little unusual gigs for them. They are going to Germany in uh, August September, which they do from time to time. They they do well uh, in Germany, but before then. Actually, a week from now, uh, there's the Towersay Festival, 24th to 27th August, where Big Country play, uh, I, would, I would even call them a headliner act, even though it's more a big fish in a small pond kind of thing. I guess it's a kind of folky festival. Uh, the bigger bands there would be uh, Richard Thompson Band and Beth Orton and the Proclaimers. Mm. And then you have Big Country. And then you have tons of people that I have never heard of. And I thought I had my ear to the ground, relatively speaking, even on that scene. 
Yeah, I see that Peter Knight, by the way, from Steel Eye Span has a show. That would be one I would see along with Big Country. But uh, apart from that, I don't know a single one. But this is the Tower Safe Festival lineup. So uh, if they go there and play their normal set, they would be the rock band on that uh, thing. That is a very acoustic and very folksy lineup, let me tell you. So that's uh, interesting. That's, yeah, that's very cool. So that that would be a good one for them to pull out the storm intro and walk on and do a play maybe a more acoustic set or a more a more folksy set that would fit well in that crowd yeah but uh but then you have the opposite and this i couldn't believe when i saw and that um i said i had something you wouldn't believe either and uh and here we go so there's this thing called the full metal cruise it has the same organizers as the as the Wacken open air in germany the largest metal festival in the world this goes on first week of September. So basically, as they leave Germany, they leave by way of this cruise, the full metal cruise. It's got a bunch of bands. They're all heavy metal bands or power metal bands. So Big Country is going on the full metal cruise to play alongside bands such as Gravedigger, Evil Invaders, Battle Beast, <laughs> Dragon Force, Prong, <laughs> Rose Tattoo, Beyond the Black. You have all these bands. Oh, my Lord. All these steel-clad, long-haired, nail belts, hardened heavy metal bands. And in the middle of that, we have Big Country. <laughs> oh, man, that is and, interesting. And I'm, I'm looking at this lineup, and it's just incredible. I'm actually going to send this to you in the Skype so you can get a full effect of actually looking at this yourself. Yeah, it's, yeah. I've never seen anything like this. Maybe maybe they should change their name to Scorpius just for this one gig. <laughs> as long as people don't expect scorpions, <laughs> which would be apt for that thing. Okay, I'm sending you that thing. So when you look at that list, yeah, all these bands, really deep, powerful power metal bands, I, I just struggle to see Big Country sandwiched between Evil Invaders and Gravedigger. <laughs> that is the gig that I would hold back on songs like ships and king of emotion i would perhaps pick out all go together and all those barnstormers that they have yeah, right <laughs> battle beast <laughs> oh yeah it's so funny seeing all these names and then seeing the big country logo it, in there that it's is the most unreal. incredible location i've ever seen the big country uh, up here <laughs> well they, they are playing along with john diva the rockets of love <laughs> so prong ula john roth Rose Tattoo, Mambo Kurt. You know, it's, it is, that is a very, very strange billing. There's no doubt about it. But you know what? I will be really interested to see and to hear about how people yeah. react to them. You know, I'll, I'll say this. The one thing I'll, I'll say about Big Country is, well, <laughs> the one thing, the many things, the millions of things. But, I, I, you know, I've, I've got people of, who love all sorts of different genres of music who – you know, people who maybe would never, for example, consider listening to you 2 who want to listen to something else, uh, heavy metal or the other more punkish bands I listen to that they don't like. I, I very rarely come across anyone who is really stuck in a certain specific genre who doesn't at least respect and appreciate what big country does. I mean, I can't tell you how many times where I've played their albums to people who are really traditional metalheads. And they'll be like, "Oh, that's really good. Yeah, it's actually really good." So who knows? You know, maybe maybe they'll get a get a really positive, good reaction. It's, they'll certainly be brightening things up a little bit. <laughs> they certainly would, and uh, yeah, definitely be positive. I think they have everything to win by playing this thing. 
they have nothing to lose whatsoever. Yeah. Like, uh, but at the same time, I hope they go into this uh, with a plan because this is a metal cruise. There's going to be a metal crowd and uh, they have the material. I mean, the trick when it comes to metal is the first three or four songs need to be bam, 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 bam. You need to hit them with something energetic and hard. And once you do that, you can uh, be more eclectic. So, yeah, I wouldn't pull out the Eden for, for this thing. I would pull out uh, something a little bit more. Perhaps uh, Red Fox. I think more than half the crowd would recognize those thin listed guitar lines. It's that kind of crowd who would recognize it. Mm. Interesting. Well, you know, if they, and if they don't call themselves Scorpius, they should at least get Oliver Hunter's wonderful rendition of what the Scorpius <laughs> looks like, turn that into a gigantic backdrop. That'll at least give them metal cred for for a little bit of time, you know, while people are trying to take in what they're seeing. I think what would be great is if uh, if Simon, instead of just wearing a Joker T-shirt, wears Joker makeup. That, <laughs> yeah. That could go well in that crowd. Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, yeah, that is really interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that, how that goes. And when is that happening again? First week of September. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, who knows that who knows though when I'm looking at this, there is someone called Mambo Kurt on the on the lineup as well. He <laughs> might actually be he might actually be first place in the one of these things is not like the other contest on this lineup. Mambo Kurt, he might have a tougher time, but we'll see. Yeah, but he sings uh, like uh, funny versions of well-known metal songs. Oh, he does? Okay. Yeah. So so he has at least that going for him. There, okay. there, 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 there is right. a metal link to what he does, but definitely, yeah, he's also a, a more fun. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm blown away. Stage. I don't know why I'm blown away, but I am blown away that you that you know who Mambo Kurt is. <laughs> really? I don't know why, but I, I guess I am. Maybe I shouldn't I shouldn't be anymore. <laughs> like, holy crap, you know who Mambo Kurt is. Everybody knows who Mambo Kurt is. <laughs> Take me down to the paradise city where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Oh, won't you please take me home? Take me down to the paradise city where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. Oh, won't you please take me home? Yeah! Ask our listeners that. Do you know who Mambo Curtis, the guy who opened for Big Country on the Metal Cruise? <laughs> well, Simon can get his, you know, he could give his vocals a rest maybe just by grunting the lyrics. <laughs> All the rain came down, All the rain down. I like, you Stay alive. In a big country, in a big country. Dreams stay with you in a big country, in a big country, in a big country, like a lot of boys fast about that side. <laughs> oh, man. Well, there, there is one other um, thing happening in big country land that I wanted to, to briefly mention um, that we didn't touch on. I've for, kind of forgotten about. 
And that is uh, Kirsten's new project, The Marriage, is about ready to release. Uh, I think they've got an EP that they're going to be releasing soon. They have an unplugged EP that they're selling at uh, shows, which is the eternal frustration for people like us. But rumors uh, say that they will be the rest will be sold on the website once the tour is over. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Once they once the tour is over and they finish selling them on the road, they'll sell them online. I, I'm really interested to hear like the band versions of a lot of the songs too. But uh, yeah, I mean that's something that I'm really looking forward to. I I love that style of music, which, where it's it's got that folky folky feel and just the, the voices of these two. I mean, Carson's voice is gorgeous. Dave Burns' voice is amazing. And uh, just the the songs that they're putting together that I'm hearing because they're really active on social media. I mean, they do a lot of yeah. they've done like live shows from their living room, and they've done a lot of these live feeds from radio performances and things. And I'm really I really love the songs that I'm hearing. Really clever lyrics and great melodies and just gorgeous stuff. So I mean, I I don't know I don't know what the state of music is these days as far as how people can be quote-unquote successful or whatever and i don't know but it's it's all a mystery at this point but they certainly to me strike me as having all kinds of incredible tools to to succeed if if given the right opportunities to do that i mean they're both very attractive people they both sound amazing they're writing great songs so you know the be interesting to watch yeah i actually saw one of their shows yesterday they streamed from the living room yeah, I awesome. saw some of that. Yeah, 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 it was. Dave, say hi. Oh, we live, are we? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Thought I'd just go for it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're late, folks. Beautiful. I'm going to start with long.
great musicians. stuff. Yeah, I look forward to that album. It will be interesting yeah. to follow. I think uh, I'm definitely more a fan of uh, of the marriage than I am of uh, Kirsten's solo album. Yeah, well, you know, we we may maybe we can get her back on the show to to uh, promote that at some point. Can I be there this time? And, yeah, you can actually join us this time. <laughs> we'll see from the from the beginning. Yeah. Instead of just coming in at the end and terrifying the poor girl. Yeah, well, that's my job. <laughs> we can't get too cozy here. So, uh, that, is that pretty much covered the last few months since we've been out yeah this is a good sweep i guess we can call this the house cleaning episode yeah that's a good way to put it and uh clearing the plate for whatever is next to to come um you know we we don't know how long the podcast is going to last we don't know how many more episodes we've got in us uh all we can guarantee is that we will we will be doing a crossing deep dive at some point um We've, we've heard from the listeners who want to hear Svine and I do that album, and uh, we will be doing that at some point. Maybe maybe we'll get to Wonderland, too. We'll see. But uh, we definitely are planning on doing The Crossing. Yeah. And when you say at some point, let's uh, reassure people who think this might be in the distant future. We do plan it this fall. Yeah, we, we are certainly hoping for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's as good as you'll get, I guess. We know how our plans go. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but for now we are back, and um, yeah, it feels good to be back and, and be chatting with you again. It's been so long. I, uh, it's, it's, this is like episode three all over again. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of like that. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's similar. But uh, Oh, well, we got through it, and I think we didn't forget too much. But obviously, if um, what I'm sensing is, you know, we both said, yeah, we'll be done in 90 minutes. And it feels like we went 90 minutes just on the Jobson book, and we certainly could have. <laughs> right, but, uh, I know. So all these shows where we try to just wrap up everything that's been happening, that, that's what's going to get. It's spur of the moment, uneven, unplanned. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I hope you guys found this interesting. I know it was kind of like a hodgepodge of topics, um, but we got to work our way back into deep dive form if we're going to properly tackle the crossing so yeah we're, we're, we're going to get our feet we got to get our sea legs back and now we have covered everything so it's kind of we can get into the topic so that's uh that's good i think we're Definitely. ready now for the whatever's next yes yes we, we will be back soon sooner than usual i think for the next show we've got a we've got some plans for the next show and what's usual eight eight months <laughs> it will not be that long i can promise you um it should be it should be fairly soon i think i hope you know within a, maybe a few weeks but don't hold me to that but we we've, we've got something for the next show that i think everybody will, will be interested in um, and i'll just leave it at that it should be a pretty interesting show so uh, yeah so we'll be, we'll be back for that one we have we have the next one already planned as far as the topic yeah now some people wrote us and said would it help if i sent you topics and one thing I can promise you is we have more than enough topics. The lack, <laughs> the lack of topics is not what makes this uh, 
not happen more often. We, we know what yeah. we want to do. It's it's the time and it's other things getting in the way. So, yeah, yeah. yeah as far as topics, no problems. We, we, we got it covered. Definitely. So, anyway, welcome back uh, to the show. <laughs> oh, that was wonderful. So, anyway, I guess this is the point where we, we head out for this episode. So, episode 77, in the can, man. Yes. And we got to remember our uh, our outros. So, what is it for me? Fairly well, my fairy fay. My fairy phase. My fairy phase. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Metal Cruise. Who you guys? What? Your big country? You don't look like metal. All right. Put your gear over there and let's see what you can do. And you look like this without a reason. Another promise falling through. Another season passes by you. I never took a smile away from anyone's face. That's a desperate one to look for someone who's still a child in a big country. In a big country. Dreams stay with you in a big country. In a big country, in a big country, like a loudest voice, fast about the other side. Stay alive! I thought that pain and truth were things that really mattered. But you can't stay here with every single hope you have shattered!